It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 11 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We're without Jack this week, but it's a positive episode nevertheless. A good, solid 1-0 victory against one of the best teams in the league, Tottenham Hotspur. We eventually broke down one of, one of Europe's best defences. We needed that, especially going into an away game at Chelsea next weekend. Anyway, more detailed discussion on the Spurs game in just a second. But before we begin, we'll also have our unparalleled youth and loan roundup, as always, later. As well as a quick word on England's youth teams with plenty of attention on them as United's own Angel Gomez lifted the Under-17 World Cup on Saturday afternoon. Plus, we'll give you a quick teaser of our special on the Old Trafford atmosphere. I spoke to Andy Mitten, founder of United We Stand last week, and he gave us plenty of insight. So a quick clip from that. We're still waiting to speak to a few people, and then we'll get editing and get that out for you. So, Spurs, lads, it's Tottenham. Yeah, but um, it's become a bit harder in the last three or four years to beat to beat Spurs, particularly since the arrival of, of Mauricio Pochettino. We weren't brilliant, sure, but it's a, it's a vital, vital win. And a better attitude and mentality, more proactive than our, than our nil-nil draw against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago that we were, we were much lambasted for. And as Mourinho pointed out, a vastly improved attitude compared to our, our 2-1 loss at Huddersfield. I saw a couple of people call it a smash and grab win. There were a couple of, of weird football memes. I don't know when football memes became a thing, but a couple of them going around um, calling it a smash and grab victory for United. It's just, I mean, it, it it was not smash and grab. I mean, it wasn't the opposite. It wasn't it wasn't fast flowing attacking football, and it wasn't certainly wasn't. We we weren't putting Spurs under the cosh for for that long. But there was probably a, a period of about ten minutes in the first half and again in the second half where we really put the pressure on Spurs but it, it wasn't a dominating performance and it wasn't as fluid as we see some some games from Spurs themselves and from and from City and sometimes very rarely though from Arsenal um but but we there were some proper moments of danger that despite 
us scoring once, not having that many shots on target. We did manage to get past Tottenham's defence on a number of occasions. This is one of the best defences in Europe. As Marino said, three of the best centre-backs. I think he called them three of the best centre-backs in, in the league. Um, and that's certainly true. And we managed to get past them on a number of occasions. It's just our finishing wasn't always there. I mean, 1-0 doesn't mean smash and grab. I don't know where this has come from. It's two... United and Spurs are two brilliant defensive sides. And Spurs without Harry Kane and United without Paul Pogba are certainly better defensive outfits than attacking outfits. When you when you put Harry Kane back into that Spurs side, they're a really well-balanced side. But without Kane and without Pogba for United, who's sort of the link and manages to to make United's attack vastly better because of, of what he allows other players to do and because of his own creative sort of genius and, and ability. But the, the two teams are very evenly matched and two very defensive teams. And... I don't particularly know what people were expecting from a United Spurs game. Two very good defensive sides. A 1-0 is very likely. Probably the most likely score you're going to get out of United and Spurs facing each other. But Mourinho um, said after the game that both teams were trying to win but with one eye on the thief. And, I mean, that's that's a very good summary from, from Mourinho. That both teams looking for sort of the breakaway and the counter-attack goal but both looking behind them, knowing that both teams have attacking qualities. And I saw a great line in on um, Football 365. It was saying United ultimately had the, the far more dangerous pair of burglars, if you're carrying on with Mourinho's thief analogy, in Lukaku and, and Anthony Martial, who, who grabbed the, the 81st minute winner. So some people call it a smash and grab, which it's clearly not. Because, I mean, while it wasn't dominating, that wasn't our only chance of the game. I think we had three shots on target, but you're also looking at Lukaku hitting the post. Um, a couple of people failed to get a shot away at some point, but we did have probably five or six moments of, of genuine danger. The same doesn't go for Spurs. United had more chances in that game. Spurs' only real chances of, chances of the first half came from a, a mess up from Phil Jones and David De Gea and Deli Alli's in the second half, which he, he should have put away. But they had two two big chances United probably had five or six and managed to only only put one away yes but it's clearly not smash and grab but then you've also got people saying oh you only had three shots on target that's pathetic it's like well say say we progress in the Champions League it looks like we will do say we get to the the quarter final the semi-final we're hosting Barcelona Real Madrid Bayern Munich one of the the big European giants we're hosting one of those at home at Old Trafford no one after the game if you come away with a 1-0 victory is going to be saying, oh, you only had three shots on target. I mean, really? I don't care about shots on target. It's a pathetic stat. Some stats are important, and yes, shots on target can show how many chances you had, but I mean, really, the the, the main thing to look at is, did you have chances? Were there big moments in the game? Were there moments where you thought United have to score here? And I had four or five at least, maybe five or six against Spurs, come away with one goal. They haven't scored. That's fine. I hate the I hate the commentator's phrase where they say the only important stat is the scoreline. It's not. But at the same time, in, in some cases, stats are just ridiculously brought up. Completely irrelevant. Shots on target. Who cares? Nobody will be coming away from a Champions League quarter final, semi final, saying United only had this many shots on target. And Tottenham Hotspur are at the level of some of Europe's best teams. Not at the level of Barcelona, not at the level of Real Madrid, although they managed to draw with Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. 
They're not at that level, though they're close. So why are we coming away from a 1-0 win against a very impressive Tottenham side who have completely dismantled Liverpool with some people saying, oh, you've only had three shots on target. Anyway, Old Trafford, we've mentioned our Old Trafford atmosphere special, but in terms of results at Old Trafford, forget the atmosphere, fantastic now. 36 games unbeaten at home. Um, An incredible record and close to a club record. Louis van Gaal, we saw... I think we saw Norwich, Bournemouth, uh, Newcastle, West Brom, I think. I mean, the, the list is endless of teams that came to Old Trafford and managed to go away with three points. David Moyes, I remember Adam Lallana scoring a, a 90th or 91st minute equaliser um, for a 1-1 draw. We had we had Fulham get a 2-2 draw when we when we put in about 5 million crosses in the space of... The, the dominance United are now showing at home with 1-0 victories against big teams, 4-0 victories against small teams. That is the kind of thing we expected at home. Unbeaten in 36 games is a is a brilliant, brilliant record. One of the best in Europe at the moment. And ever since Alex Ferguson left, there's always been this thing of opposition players coming to United and saying, it's not scary anymore. We don't fear going to Old Trafford. Slowly, not yet, because it still hasn't regained its status as as a fortress is always a cliche. But United, I mean, again, in Football 365, a good line on this was United probably need to absolutely annihilate a team to really get that that reputation back. Because we've beaten teams 4-0. We've beaten many teams 4-0. Swansea, West Ham, Everton. We've done it away from home as well. But at home, battering teams 4-0, 4-1, 3-0 against FC Basel, 4-1 against Burton. But we're waiting for that 6-0, 7-0. 8271. We're waiting for that big, big win that, that really makes everyone that comes to Old Trafford really fear it. But nevertheless, the reputation is not quite as it was when we, when we were sort of unbeatable at home under Fergie. But it's slowly regaining that status of you don't go to Old Trafford and get a win. And while it's not properly feared going to Old Trafford yet, teams will not be going to Old Trafford thinking, yeah, we can win here. They might be thinking, we're not necessarily going to get battered here. We're not that scared of United yet. But no one is now coming to Old Trafford and thinking, yeah, we can win here because we've just seen Bournemouth do it. We've just seen Norwich do it. It's completely different now. But overall, fantastic win for United and and definitely much needed. Particularly, we got Chelsea coming up next week. Before that, we got Benfica on, on Tuesday night in the in the Champions League, our fourth Champions League group stage game. And it, it looks like we're we're sort of coasting through that group with relative ease compared to, to compared to some other sides in Europe. But a much-needed win um, and, and sort of a vindication of, of Mourinho's tactics for, for those who had been doubting him after the, the nil-nil at Anfield. Not necessarily that he would have won over everyone who says, oh, but, but he parks a bus. He didn't park the bus at all. We played two strikers, uh, Rashford and Lukaku. We didn't bring on a defensive midfielder when we went 1-0 up. And United now well and truly back in the title race shows how fickle football is still behind Man City but had we not beaten Spurs we could have gone into the game against Chelsea being 10 points behind City and had we not beaten Chelsea as well we we would have stayed 10 points if they if they win next week so yeah a really really important win and and Nemanja Matic was given man of the match by Sky I think but Ashley Young has been deservedly getting the plaudits in the in the last few weeks with mentions of a return to the England squad and he, he really does deserve it. He's been fantastic. I think he returned in, in sort of mid-September from an injury. 
started at right back and everyone's like, what's going on here? Put in a fantastic performance, moved to left back and, and has been first choice ever since and, and very much deservedly so. He's fitted into that, that wing back role as well as the, the normal left back full back role very well. I mean, against Spurs, we saw him both defensively and in attack being vital to United's team. You have him tracking against Sissoko and then against Dembele later on in the game, helping out against Hyunmin Son, who was playing up front in place of Harry Kane. But then when, when we need him on the attack, bombing down that left flank, using his left foot and his right foot, cutting back on the in, on the inside to cross with his right, going straight down the left for a really, really quick counter-attack. Paid off on a number of occasions. He went off to a standing ovation at the end as he was subbed off and he completely won over United fans who did doubt him. I mean, when he when he was at Aston Villa, he was weirdly probably my favourite player in the Premier League. So I, I was delighted when we signed him. But some people weren't, and some people have have, have hated on on Ashley Young um, because sometimes it, for maybe two or three years his performances weren't good enough, and it was in a time when United weren't good enough. But United are United are close to being back, and Ashley Young is is a player who. who properly does understand the club i remember i went to um this will sound rather sad but <laughs> i went to an under 15s united game uh milton Keynes, mk dons have this this sort of challenge match every year so they played barcelona the year before and then united were there this year playing against mk dons is under 15 and then after the game i was waiting outside to talk to a couple of people there and I turn around and someone goes, Ashley Young's there. And I'd seen him in the stadium as well. And Ashley Young just comes up after, speaks to all the people waiting outside. Very, very happy to do whatever United fans and MK Dons fans want him to do. Um, and he's travelled down on a Friday night from Manchester as the only first team player there. And I'm fairly sure there's no, no United senior coaching staff are there. Only people from the academy. Ashley Young's the only person involved with the first team at the ground. And he's come down from Manchester on a Tuesday night to Milton Keynes to watch an under-15s game. I mean, he he properly understands the club and he gets it in the same way that Evra did, in the same way that Raphael did, um, despite not being a United fan, although he clearly is now. He cares a lot and he's putting in the performances to match that, working really hard and performing really well. On the subject of, of working hard, some comments on Romelu Lukaku and Anthony Martial this week and, and their work rate. I saw Gary Neville on Martial saying he's always working at 85% and if he can get that extra 15%, he can start putting in performances consistently that means he can one day reach the level of Ronaldo, Messi, Suarez as one of the best forwards in the world. And it's it's interesting that it's, it's quite a, a, a bold thing to say that Martial's in every game is working at 85%. And I I don't know whether it, it just looks that way because Martial is is very composed and doesn't really show a, a huge deal of of emotion on the pitch. I remember he a couple of seasons ago he was criticized for not smiling after he scored, um which is ridiculous if he scored. I don't care what he does. He can can celebrate in whatever way he wants. He was certainly smiling after he scored against Spurs, but it, I wonder if if there's this perception that he doesn't work hard just because he he doesn't always show it in in the in the key way and he doesn't show that much disappointment when he wishes a chance and doesn't show that much elation when he scores a chance. He is he's he's just very composed and that means he finishes those chances that that win us a game against Spurs um, against Liverpool on his debut. It was inter- the the camera angle and the way that he went into the box on the left corner of that box and celebrated in that corner of Old Trafford just brought back memories because it was the same the same 
area of the pitch in the same celebration sort of style with everyone coming over into that corner of Old Trafford as on his debut against Liverpool. Brought back some good memories. But Lukaku as well has been criticised by some United fans, some pundits for not working hard enough and, and not performing well enough in big games. But in reality, Lukaku did his job. He missed a couple of chances. His header hit the post. His header was responsible for feeding Anthony Martial through and a fantastic header to, to let Martial be in space and a brilliant head-on from Lukaku. But he was working hard the entire match. And there was one moment where Neville said, you've just got to run for every ball at Old Trafford, when Lukaku sort of started running to chase the ball, then pulled out and then go, went again, and, and there was a little groan from Old Trafford. And, and yeah, sure, but Lukaku was working hard, doing his job. It's, it's not his job to get service. And Graham Soonis said after the game, well, at United, you expect, you expect to be getting great service from midfielders, and obviously he's missing Paul Pogba a bit. It's not his job to make the chances. He is a proper striker. And last season, we, I remember me and Jack were both criticising Zlatan Ibrahimovic for always dropping back into midfield and, and trying to make everything himself. And it sometimes meant when a cross came across the six-yard box, there'd be no one there because that's where Ibrahimovic should be. Lukaku is a proper number nine and is playing like it. And if he doesn't get service, he's not going to score a goal. And when he did get a good cross, when he did get some good service, he hit the post. If you get one chance in a game, you're not that likely to score, even as one of the best strikers in the world. He got one or two in the whole game and then made the goal with a with a fantastic header. So I don't understand criticism of him from in terms of big games because against Spurs, okay, he didn't score, but he still performed. It, it's the midfielder's job to, to provide him with the chances and they didn't. But all in all, fantastic result against Spurs. Much needed sort of little boost because we beat Swansea in midweek nice and comfortable and Jesse Lingard just a word because we obviously haven't recorded since the Swansea game Jesse Lingard two brilliant brilliant finishes particularly the header so such a satisfying header that um headers from headers from a long way out from a from a nice whipped cross are just wonderful to watch and, and Lingard's celebrating he was criticized for his celebration as well he can do whatever he likes if he's performing for Man United and I will never understand the hate of Jesse Lingard, a, a Warrington-born United fan who scored in a cup final and tries his hardest in every game and performs in big games. Cannot understand the, the hate shown towards Jesse Lingard at some point. The under-18s carried on their good run of form this season with a 2-1 victory against Sunderland on Saturday afternoon, coming from behind in the second half with goals from Aidan Barlow and Nishan Burkhart. The under-23s got their first win since August the 14th, the opening day of the Premier League two seasons. Winning 1-0 away at Sunderland, they're still bottom of the table but are now behind Sunderland only on goal difference. Demi Mitchell scored a penalty to give United that 1-0 win. In low news, Andreas Pereira grabbed an assist on Saturday morning as he created three chances for Valencia against Alaves. Dean Henderson was in action for Shrewsbury, Sam Johnston for Aston Villa in the second City derby, Timothy Fossumensa for Crystal Palace in a in a comeback to, to draw 2-2 against West Ham, I think it was. But let's focus more on international news as England's under-17s won the World Cup with an astonishing comeback from 2-0 down to beat Spain 5-2 in the final. Get revenge for being beaten in the in the final moments and then on penalties in the under-17 Euros final in May by Spain. Um, England are the first country in history to win three major men's underage tournaments in a single year. Absolutely remarkable year of youth football for England. And 
it's a result of, of the launch of St. George's Park batting back in 2014 and of the England DNA and a number of other factors. Partly just a sensational generation of footballers, the 1999 to 2001 born footballers in this country are the best in the world. Angel Gomez, captaining England to World Cup Gory, um, <laughs> came on for the last three minutes of the final, having been a substitute most of the tournament um, and, and lifted the trophy, albeit alongside his vice-captain, who, who's captained the young Lions for most of the tournament, Joel Latibodier. But just a word on England. This, If you didn't manage to watch England's under-17 side, if you've seen any other England side, the, the, the men's, the under-20s, the under-21s, the under-19s, whatever, this this under-17 side are something else. They're technical, skillful, tactically good. They play with pace, penetration, individual brilliance with, with the likes of Phil Foden, Gomez himself, Jaden Sancho who returned to, to Borussia Dortmund after the group stages and others like Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi. They're very de- determined as we saw. I mean, from 2-0 behind to 5-2 winners was one of Fergie's greatest ever comebacks at, at United against Spurs. I think it was in, in 2009. To do that in a World Cup final just is is sensational. After all the hype of the of the media around around this country and all the pressure of, of being in a World Cup final, it, it's just incredible. And England under seventeen's world champions, England under twenties world champions, England under nineteen's European champions, a mixture of under eighteens and under twenty side won the Toulon tournament. The under twenty ones got to the Euro semi finals. The the level of success is unparalleled, as I said, and. It's it's brilliant to watch, and the the players. I mean, I guess the the thing to do now, as as fans and for for the media, is to have faith in in the in these youngsters, support them when they play for for United. For there's not there's only Gomez in the under 17s so there's not that many United players involved in the in the under twenties and under 19s But in general, in the country. The, the fans have a have a have a role to play if supporting them when they play for for the various clubs and being patient with them, and the same goes for the media and the same goes for the clubs to have faith in these players to, and and to reap the rewards. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fa- it was fantastic to watch. Um, and I think the best I I watch quite a lot of of youth international football, and the best thing about it is seeing there's there's a lot more joy at youth football. Because when, when you see sort of 26-year-old, 27-year-olds winning the Champions League, winning the World Cup, there's there's tears on show, there's there's smiles on show, but the sheer joy of, of 16, 17, 18-year-olds winning a World Cup is honest, it's brilliant to watch. And it's been a brilliant summer watching England's youth sides. So hopefully these players can come through. It will be difficult. And there's no doubt about that. Now, Tuesday night, the second game against Benfica, our fourth Champions League game since, since returning to the competition. Three out of three so far, 3-0 against Basel, 4-1 against CSK and 1-0 away at Benfica. It's been a very good tournament so far. Tuesday night and then we've got Chelsea at the weekend on the Sunday. So plenty of time for rest, so shouldn't see too many players rested. Um, not that there's many options for that with Carrick, Fellaini, Pogba, Rojo, Zatan, all still injured. But hopefully... United can show the the proactiveness that they that they did against CSKA against Basel um, by being at home against Benfica, where we struggled a bit away from home. There's no doubt about that. 
wasn't a comfortable victory. We got lucky with a with a goalkeeping mistake from from that eighteen year old uh, Marcus Rashford catching him out. Um, but hopefully we can be a bit more proactive while while being at home and and get our fourth win. Four wins out of four would be very nice and, and basically secure qualification. And then we just need a, a fister to top the group. And at the weekend, we got we got the huge game against Chelsea, which could really a win at Stamford Bridge away from home um, would be a would be a huge statement and vital in the in the in the title race. But I mean, can can I see it happening? Not particularly. I can I, I tell you what result I can see happening is a is a nil nil draw, which would which would certainly frustrate many people in a in in a bad way to an extent, but also in a very funny way. Because the the sheer attention and hate that United get when Mourinho plays that kind of tactic and gets a nil nil draw is quite funny to watch. But yeah, let's hope for let's hope for a, a better performance than at Anfield. But I'm expecting a nil nil draw at Stamford Bridge and, and hopefully um we'll see a couple of players back from injury. Anyway, sorry you've had to listen to my sole voice for the last 25 minutes, but thank you very much for listening to the Manchester United weekly podcast as always. That's Series 3, Episode 11. Now, I mentioned we'd have a, we'd have a little clip from our Old Trafford special. This is from when, we, when I spoke to Andy Mitten last week about, about the atmosphere, um, and we're hoping that will be out in the next two or three weeks. We're just waiting for a few people to decide whether they, they are willing to, to speak to us. Um, but Andy Mitten was very interesting and, and gave us plenty of his time. So we got 20 minutes of, of stuff with Andy, um, who gave us loads and loads of insight and, and was really so interesting. You, so have a listen to this. Coming since you started United We Stand. Um, I mean, just how much do you think Old Trafford has changed? Enormously. When I was standing on the Stratford end as a kid, it was so loud for the biggest games that I'd be scared. I can remember <laughs> thinking, this is sort of, this is hurting your ears. And, as a 13 or 14 year old hearing songs about what United fans intended to do to Chelsea fans after the game, I actually believed them, even though it was just, you know, it just football chants and what, what is said is often not literal and is never going to happen. And it wasn't like that all the time. And, and even in early issues of United, we stand, there were complaints that the atmosphere wasn't what it had been. And I think every generation does that. They tend to hark back to their youth when everything seemed to be perfect, usually around the time that they were 17 and discovering the world and going out, socialising, music. And not every single game was had a good atmosphere, but the Stratford end did see um, a lot of young United fans who would turn up on the day of the game. They would sing loud, they would sing proud, even when the football wasn't good. And the atmosphere could be great. And it's changed because of a couple of things. The Taylor Report meant all-seater stadium. The prices shot up to watch matches in the early 90s and priced out a whole generation of predominantly younger supporters. And I've spoken to Martin Edwards about this. He was the chairman at the time. And he said, we had to do it. We had to pay for the new stands. Seats were more expensive than standing because they took up more space. And, and I get all that. But I don't agree with it. And I think that the club didn't push back because they were quite happy to get rid of the Stratford and Terrace because that was where the rowdiest fans went. So it declined a lot throughout the 90s. There were a couple of um, notable games where it was really good. And in the noughties, I think Barcelona at home in 2008 was, was, was absolutely brilliant. So it does show it's not only about standing. And 
if you go to Turkey and say that you need a, you know the roof effects, that the noise <laughs> or the acoustics aren't quite right because of the angle of the roof or because of stadia, they'll just laugh at you. If everybody in Old Trafford was stood up singing, the atmosphere would be incredible. And I think part of the blame lies with United fans. They turn up to the games too late. I don't think there's the, the anger socially and the passion socially that maybe there was. And I travel all around the world now, write about football and go to places like Argentina, where it reminds me of England in the 1980s. And I think when I grew up in Manchester, I didn't feel I was growing up in a rich country, but Great Britain is rich now. It is one of the leading economies of, of, of the world, whatever's going on politically. And the demographic has changed hugely um, in the type of people who go to football matches. And I saw that in the early 90s, stood on Warwick Road, some at Busby Way, and you could see the people going to football changing um, yeah. from from a predominantly working class demographic to a very middle class demographic. And nothing wrong with that. People with money have always gone to watch football. Old Trafford had executive boxes in the 1960s. But what you also had was you lost some of, the, I think, the, the groups of younger local guys going to the match, singing and standing together on, on on the Stratford and Terrace and, and something was lost and it's been... I hope that has sparked your interest and you'll be looking forward to our Old Trafford special. As I said, hopefully out in the, in the next two to three weeks. We're waiting on a few people. Thanks as always for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network.